0: Welcome to the Success Journey Show. Let's travel together through the lives of individuals on their road to success.
1: Hey, what's going on, travelers? We are back with you for another week of the Success Journey Show. This is Ricky Venters, and I'm here with, like I say every week, none other than
0: Marlon Madden. Marlon, what's going on, bro? How you doing? Um, I'm I'm all right, man. Just chilling out. Um, you know, thinking about thinking about some different things. And I know you You got kids. I have kids. Yep. And a lot of times you, you you wonder in life, like, what's your kid going to turn out to be or mm-hmm. what your children's going to turn out to be? And, and are you forcing them one way when they should be going left? You're putting them right. Are you are you putting them in the right environment? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that's I've been thinking about that a lot um, this week and last week, uh, you know, trying to see if, you know, if I'm if I'm forcing the issue. You know, because you think you're, you're, you're trying to be the best parent you you, you can, but sometimes you just got to let let your kid kind of go the, the path they want to go and you just help them on that. Journey.
1: Yeah, I was actually talking to a colleague today and he said something, you know, it's, it's great. You know, you don't hear, hear a lot of people say, he said, you know what? He, I told my, He said, I told my kids, I just want them to be happy. You know, I want them to find something mm. they love doing and be happy at doing. So that when they wake up every single day, they're not going to work, you know, that is going to just life, it's just life and what they do um, and that they enjoy. It. And that and that's something that, you know, you know, previous generations didn't really have that. You know, a lot of them, you know, they no. just work just to say, i got working and, and, you know, you work and you do work and you go home and then you you whatever you do, whatever you want to do at home. But, you know, at work, it doesn't have to be fun. And, you know, I think we're living in a day and age when people want want it all. You know, it's like, hey, you know, yeah. I really want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to make sure that I'm making a difference in the world around me. Yeah. Correct,
0: correct. Yeah.
1: So, uh, listeners, man, we have uh, f- phenomenal guests. Talk about making a difference in the world around you. Um, and this guest is none other than a good friend of ours, Hamangi Pai, and we're going to. Uh, have her just give us a little uh, bit about her life, you know, tell about her journey, where she is now, how she's making a difference in different communities that she impacts, and just have a good time talking with her. So, Pie, hello, how are you doing hello,
2: today? hi, I'm good. How are you?
1: Doing well, doing well. How are you guys Wonderful doing? for joining us. Thank
2: you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, uh, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, all right. So my name is Hamangi Pai. Everybody calls me Pai. Um, I am a criminal defense attorney, specifically a public defender at Brooklyn Defender Services in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a woman, I'm brown-skinned, and I'm really, really passionate about the work that I do and about giving people who have no voice a voice. It's like the the thing that pushes me and motivates me every day. Mm, That's mm. just a little bit about Mm. me.
1: <laughs> it was a little bit, but it was a lot. there was a lot in that little bit. Uh, for all yeah. for all the listeners, I'm going to put a little uh, plug in for all the listeners that are on right now. Uh, she mentioned she was a mother and a wife. We had her husband, Sean Thomas, on uh, on. Episode number what was it, Marlon? Number four, number three, number, number four. four, number three or
0: number, number three, four? number yeah. four.
1: Talking about his journey. So now we're, we're going to hear the the other side.
2: And we and we have yes. a daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. We cannot forget. Oh, we
1: cannot forget.
2: It's true. I did hear her in the background. I actually am still at work, which is the only reason why you don't hear her screaming in the background. But.
1: <laughs> nah, she added flavor to the podcast. You know, without her, it wouldn't have been what it was. That's why we kept. <laughs> you know? That's why we kept I'm it. Sure. So so tell us so. You're a, a, a criminal uh, defense attorney. Def- yeah. Defense attorney. Yeah. What does that I mean? A lot of people have heard about it. You know, a lot of people see it on TV shows. <clears throat> yeah. Um, some people, unfortunately, have had a, a experience. Uh, having to secure one. <laughs> That's very true. Tell, us, <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit about what that is, what that, what that entails, if someone's interested. Sure.
2: Um, so mm-hmm. basically I work for the public defender's office. So I am an appointed attorney from the court. Um, I, if you're uh, unfortunately accused of a crime um, and you are, Cannot afford an attorney. I am the. I am one of the attorneys that is uh, appointed to represent you and assigned by the court to represent you in your case. Um, I have been a public defender for almost ten years. Um, I am currently a senior trial attorney in my office, which means I pick up. All levels of felonies and misdemeanors. Um, I just recently got promoted to the homicide unit in my office. So that means mm. I can pick up murder cases as well. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I pick, I basically meet you probably on one of the worst days of your life. Um, and if you're, if you are, if you are accused of a crime, um, and then I stay with your case until your case gets resolved. Um, That could mean taking a plea. That could mean going to trial. That could mean going to a hearing and getting all the evidence suppressed. Um, And uh, I'll stay on until the very end of your case. I'm not, I am. uh, I do not take money from my clients. I'm not a private attorney. I, all of my cases are appointed by the court. So um, Mm. we get a bad rap in in the media and stuff like that, but it's, we work really incredibly hard. And the one thing I will say is that um, public defenders don't get paid a lot. I'm, I'm fortunate because my job has a lot of resources and we're very, very well known um, in the nation. So we do get paid probably better than most. But if we were with, you know, if I was working at a firm or something like that, I could be making way more money than I am making. So most of us, I w- if not all of us, are really in it for the work itself. And we work tremendous. I mean, right now it's 8.46 p.m. And I'm still at the office. Right. Um, I've Mm -hmm. been I came in this morning at nine. So um, and I'll be back tomorrow at 8 a.m. and I probably won't leave again until eight o'clock tomorrow. So we're really passionate about. Well, I mean, I think I can speak for most public defenders when I say we're really passionate about the work that we do. And we are sort of the gatekeeper in a lot of ways to people's rights being completely trampled on and violated. So it's a it's Mm -hmm. a real honor to do this work. We meet some incredible people who unfortunately are um, in a really unfortunate and really difficult situation. And I, and people ask me this all the time. So I just want to get it out of the way. <clears throat> how do you represent somebody who's guilty? Uh, how do you mm. represent somebody that you know has committed a crime? And I personally don't care whether or not you've committed a crime. My job is to make sure that the state is able to prove their case that I hold the state to their burden, which is to prove their case beyond reasonable doubt. And if the state can't Mm -hmm. prove their case beyond reasonable doubt, then there is no reason why you should be uh, convicted of a crime. Um, The minute we start to, uh, we start to, um, decrease that burden. And the minute that we start to give, you know, we, we, we sort of fall back on sympathy or we fall back on all these other things, emotion and things like that. Um, the minute our rights are trampled upon and poor people's rights, we know are the first to be taken away. Um, because they're the most vulnerable and they're they're the most marginalized. So um, it's really important that, that we as public defenders are here because we stand in, in sort of as the gatekeeper to, to those rights in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't mean to make it sound like we're like heroic and we wear capes or anything like that. I just mean it like <laughs> I mean it more just like the work is really impactful and meaningful and really important. And we end up getting a bad sort of reputation because you'll have, you know, people think that, oh, I didn't get to pay. I didn't have a paid lawyer. I didn't have enough money to get a paid lawyer. And I get it. Like you don't get to choose who you get, but most of us are really in it for, uh, for, for, for the right reasons. We, we really care. And it's really mm-hmm. important. So. No, nah,
0: that's good. <clears throat> so, 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 Pi, with, um, with the negative press that you're getting in the media, right? Cause a lot of what and I will just say, what they say is that you get a public defender, they're going to take a plea and they, they just really don't care. So what, what, how do you change somebody's mindset when you, Mm -hmm. when they come to you and when start with. So I think
2: one of the biggest things is um, what's difficult is right. uh, Plea bargaining happens a lot in criminal cases. And that's because um, like in, in a place like Brooklyn, for example, where there are, you know, thousands of people arrested each year. Thousands of cases cannot go to trial, right? It would shut down the entire criminal justice system if that happened. And so the district attorney's office makes a lot of plea offers. The thing I think that's the most important is to not start off your representation with the client talking about negotiating a plea, but rather understanding where your client is coming from, all of the sort of collateral issues that are involved, including housing, mental health, uh, you know, immigration, all of the other things that are going on in the person's life. And also then putting in the work for the case, doing the investigation, reaching out to witnesses, looking up the legal arguments to be made and showing your client and advising your client of that as the process is going along. I think a lot of times we And I think a lot of different professions tend to just like have this mode where we're like, okay, I'm going to do this job. I'm going to get it done. And I don't need you to ask me any questions. I just need you to hear what I'm saying and do what I say. And that doesn't really work, because especially when you're talking about something like criminal defense, where it's someone's liberty interest on the other end, right? Their ability to walk free on this earth, Um, you really have to speak to your client and keep your client apprised of everything that's going on and to show them that you're, that you're willing to do the work. I mean, one of the hardest things I think for, for me in my job is I very much recognize that my clients who are incredibly poor, not broke, I'm talking poor, right. Mm. Um, are, uh, I'm just another cog in the bureaucratic nightmare that is their life. Right. So if they're on public assistance, then they're probably speaking with, uh, a representative from HRA right if they are dealing with Medicaid or if they're dealing with any other sort of bureaucratic organization they are tired of dealing with somebody and they're and and, and a lot of times i end up being just another person in this bureaucratic nightmare that is their life and so part of that is to To sort of break down that wall, you have to have meaningful communication with your client and treat your client like a human being. Because in a lot of these other contexts, they're either seen as a number or they're seen as just another problem or whatever. And so I think like just making sure that from very early on, you... You know, I meet I meet a client when I'm in arraignments. I'm in a courtroom, I get a file, the file has some paperwork in it. I go in the back, I start talking to my client in a holding cell. There's a gate, there's like a graded gate in front of me where I can barely see Mm. the person's face, right? And it's really important that I share as much information with the person about what they're being charged with, what they're facing, right? So they can make decisions, but also what my intentions are for their case. And then you know, we get to come out, see a judge, and oftentimes I'm making a bail application. And if you've ever seen me in court, my bail applications are very lengthy because to me, I am the mouthpiece for this human being who's standing next to me who's not given the opportunity to speak, right? And so Mm. it's really important to me that I convey to the judge as much as I possibly can about who this person is, because otherwise all you're seeing is a piece of paper with a list of charges, oftentimes charges that are completely overcharged, right? And all you hear are these negative facts about this person. And so it's my job to, to s- sort of set that record straight, right? And, and, and humanize the person who's standing next to me. Um, And I think once you start with that footing, you can really start to develop a relationship. And then the other thing I'll say is, and then maybe I'll let y'all ask me a question. Um, But but the other thing I would say is just that I think um, it's really important to uh, keep your promises and, you know, as I've developed as an attorney, I've really realized the importance of that. If you tell your clients, you're going to call them, call them. If you tell your clients, you're going to get them their discovery, meaning all the paperwork in their case, get it to them. If you tell your client you're going to reach out to a program, reach out to the program. If you tell them you're going to reach out to a witness, reach out to a witness. Uh, it's difficult sometimes to follow through on that. Um, but having integrity and being honest about, listen, I, I wasn't able to do it because I was on trial or because my kid got sick or whatever it is, goes a very, very long way. So,
1: mm. Mm. so I mean, I, I love the passion. Like what I'm, I'm hearing is it's like, <laughs> man, it, it's just like, man you're, you're like all in with it. And I appreciate you giving us some clarity as to, you know, a little bit more about what a public defender does and is their role and just their, their, um, uh, their intentions, you know, in terms of representing their clients. Now, is, is this something, I mean, what I, the way I see it is more of a, it's like an ad- advocacy type of position as well, mm-hmm. uh, advocating for those that don't have. Now, is this something that you always wanted to do? Like, at what point in your your journey at, at, or in your career as, that you said, "Oh, wow, I really want to be a you know a public defender, and this is the <clears throat> type of law I want to practice"?
2: Well, it's funny because um, I didn't when I first came into law school. I didn't want to be a public defender. I didn't even want to do criminal law, which is kind of interesting to me because when I was in undergrad, a lot of my focus was on um, prison arch. I did a, I did my senior thesis in undergrad, which was so many years ago, um, on prison, the disciplinary functions of prison architecture, right? Weird, Mm -hmm. but really interesting. Look into it. It's really, really interesting. Um, but, um, and then when I came into law school, I was like, I want to do employment discrimination. And I was really fixated on that. Like I really want to go and I want to do employment discrimination. I don't think it's fair. that black and Brown people are discriminated against that women are discriminated against. I did an internship. I went to Northeastern Law school. And the beauty of Northeastern, um, in addition to like so many things I really loved about it was that you, you had the opportunity to do a co-op, which, uh, 4 4 co-ops, mm-hmm. which were like internships, right? So you alternated between school for 11 weeks and then a co-op for 11 weeks and then school for 11 weeks and then a co-op for 11 weeks. Um, And I got a chance to work at uh, work in at the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, which is basically the agency that enforces law like um, uh, anti-discrimination, employment discrimination um, laws in Massachusetts. Right. And I wanted to jump out the window like every single day. I was so incredibly bored. I was like, how do people do this every single day? I will. I will not survive this job. And I then came back and took a class in criminal procedure. And I was like, this is my jam. This is what I'm meant to do. My interests were so peaked. uh, And then from there forward, I worked at three different um, agencies. One, I worked uh, doing criminal appellate work for an internship. I worked doing criminal actual criminal defense work. And then I, like uh, at the public defender level, and then I worked doing innocence project stuff. um, And I decided that I am best suited for criminal defense, public defender trial work, um, Mm -hmm. given my personality and um, all of that. So I, and, and I just, and I, so that's, that's how I kind of got to where I am. And now I cannot imagine doing anything else like maybe teaching how to be a public defender one day but (laughs) i don't know that i ever want to do any other kind of work unless like i i happen to like you know fall into something like i'm really good at pottery or something and i'm gonna make a bajillion dollars doing it. like i just don't i don't think that's really like what's in the cards for me but i'm just right
0: you just put it out there put yeah it out there. you just never know i mean <laughs> i did Remember. take a
2: pottery class and i was like an ultimate fail so i just uh, i don't think that's but- it for me Remember, Maybe, the I mean,
0: idea started here, though. Remember, right. the idea Truth. started here. Yeah, right. Sean
2: did buy me a violin one year. I took one lesson. <laughs> so, you never know. You never know, guys.
1: No <laughs> oh, man. Love it. Love it. <laughs> no, you know, it's um. Look, looking at, you know, even with your journey and, you know, you're saying you fell in love with it. You know, I know it was the road wasn't easy even getting to where you're at now. You yeah. talked about the long hours you got to put in. Um, just you know the, the, the type of cases that you're exposed to and things of that nature. What are, tell, tell us some of the, the, the some of the struggles that come with you know being a public defender outside of the perception people have of it, but more so just a demand on the job or even just growing in your career? Sure. Um,
2: I think one of the um, something that's incredibly difficult is that this job is well, there's a couple of things. So first, this job is incredibly anxiety provoking, right? Because you have a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. in your hands and the law is set up so that if there are mistakes made by the attorney, those mistakes can seriously impact your client's Liberty interests, right? If you forget to do something or you fail to file something, it can become you 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 can be put in this your client can be put in a situation where they have now waived that, right? And it's your fault that, that happened. So that that piece is incredibly anxiety provoking. Also, there's like a real level of uncertainty with this job. Like you don't know what's gonna happen at trial. So you can prep something as much as you possibly can. And then something will happen and you're like, wow, I was not prepared for that at all, you know? And so there, and you're always ready. You're always waiting for that, right? There's always that you're always, I mean, you try to be as prepared as possible and then something happens and you're like, what? where did that come from? Um, so there's that, but more so I think is the emotional toll that this job takes. There's a lot of secondary trauma that happens because you see a lot of really terrible things and people assume, I think in a lot of ways that the the secondary trauma comes from the, the nature of the charges, which is true. We see some really heinous, really terrible things, right? Uh, child sex cases attempted murder cases actual murder cases right um rape cases things like that you see a lot of gruesome things but but what you but i think what's hardest for me and what has been hardest for me is seeing your clients get railroaded by the system over Mm. and over and over and over again Mm. seeing how like i just came today And all weekend, basically, I've been going back and forth to these protests outside of the Brooklyn Metropolitan um, Detention Center, which is the federal um, detention center here in Brooklyn, New York. And they haven't had heat since Monday. And, And the thing that's interesting, I don't even practice in federal court. Right. But this is to me is just such an incredible injustice. And I know a lot of federal defenders and I know a lot of, you know, this is my this is my work. Right. I came from there because. I went there because I'm like this is insane. Why 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 isn't the entire city of Brooklyn out here, borough of Brooklyn out here protesting this? These are human beings that are locked up in cages waiting to go to trial. They haven't even been found guilty, right? And we don't even and not even if they had been found guilty should they like be, these rights be violated, but we're not even at that stage yet, right? And we don't care whether or not. They're freezing. The temperatures here on, I think last Thursday was three degrees, right? And so, you, and, and so so that piece, seeing that kind of stuff happen over and over and over again, hearing the lives and stories of your clients and the traumas that they have experienced for, um, I think, about six and a half, seven years of doing this work. I, uh, before getting promoted, I was in the youth unit. So I worked specifically with young people charged with crimes, as adults, So you're looking at anyone from the age of 14 through 24 is like the age that we sort of like cut off for um, for youth here uh, in my office. And so I worked with that population for so many years and to hear about and to see the traumas that are inflicted on these young people is devastating to see how little worth our young people have in their own lives and in their own mm-hmm. Like ability to move forward and their own uh, progress is just it's it is heartbreaking and that piece I think is one of the hardest pieces to mm. deal with and I can see how people can fall into really terrible habits um, like drinking or drug use or you know suicidal ide that, that kind of stuff because it's just it's really easy to go there because it feels when you see it day in and day out and you are at least in terms of the system seen as somebody who has like a voice, right. And you can actually Mm -hmm. try to effectuate some kind of change, but you're backed up against a wall over and over and over again. It's can be that part can, can be so overwhelming and can feel like inescapable in a lot of ways. And so that's really, that part is really difficult. And I would say finally, it is very hard to be judged every single day, all this, all the time. Right. And, and, uh, you know, part of this job is that everything that comes out of my mouth is judged. Right. And so, because I am speaking on someone else's behalf, because I am, I have this great responsibility and that is very difficult. That is a hard, that is a challenge all the time. And so, uh, but you know what? You, you have to have like your outlets and you have to have really supportive people in your life. And you have to be able to like scream at the top of your lungs if you have to and cry where you need to cry and go to protests and yell and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what I try to do.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> all right. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, hearing a lot of that, what you're saying is now we're, now we're going to ship away from the work the people that you're working on and shift onto you how 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 does that affect your state of mind um believing in people first of all second is also that you're in the system and then you're seeing the brokenness in the system and 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 then you're 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 struggling like how can i fix it How, how how does that play on your state of mind
2: so I go through real bouts of depression if I'm really, I mean, I, I think Ricky could tell you because I've known him for a while. I have no, like, I'm very transparent. I've gone through real bouts of depression and real sadness and real times when I'm like, I don't, know, the, uh, like one of my triggers in my life, because I've had a lot of trauma in my life is unfairness. And when something is just unfair and it feels like there's no resolution, right? Right. I it sends off all my triggers and I'm like, I feel like I'm walking around like a wounded puppy. And that happens to me often. And my state of mind, sometimes, I mean, I go back and forth from like feeling completely defeated and like I can't pick myself up and keep it moving to like really, really angry. And like, y'all better watch out because I'm pissed, right? And so um, I just, I feel like that sort of that that, and and then also feeling a little bit like well I am part of the problem right because I am a player in the system like you said Um, but I feel like I feel like we have this system so there's no option for me to get out and my clients can't get out right like so uh, who am I to just bounce and because it's not they can't go so I mean I know I have the privilege of going but why do I have to exercise that privilege how can I Mm -hmm. exercise that privilege so just having that and then you know, I have a really great partner, like like Sean. Y'all heard he's real enthusiastic and really like positive and amazing in that way. And he lets me just go crazy, like <laughs> he does, like he really does. And he understands when I need like my space and I need to like go crazy, like go off and you know, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't, he's not like, yeah, I love that about my wife, but like, he lets me, (laughs) he lets me do it. Um, Yeah. And church, right? Like I have my, I have church and I really, I find myself, if you ever come to my church, you'll often see me hysterically crying during like the praise and worship because I just feel like I'm just like, God, I don't know where to put all this. So help me out. Hmm. Right. And like, And I mean, I've come to church after like a really bad, uh, you know, a really bad week at work or a week where I'm really scared for a client and I'll just cry it out and beg God for like whatever mercies and grace he can give because I'm just struggling. So, and yeah. I also have a really, really dope daughter who is like just the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and probably my number one best accomplishment, if that you can consider that an accomplishment. Uh, and uh, she like really keeps me grounded, and she reminds me of like what is you know what I'm fighting so hard for because I want her to have like a she's brown and like I want to make sure she's safe when she gets older, and that yeah, you know yeah, yeah,
0: yeah all of that so. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to The Success Journey Show. You could check us out on our social media on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Also on our website, thesuccessjourneyshow.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. So so we're, you know, I'm, I'm here on this,
1: man. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Just even some, I know someone was definitely touched in the fact of you being, you know, just real about them, the struggles that you, you've gone through, but then also how you have to cope you know, with those things, because, you know, there are a lot of young professionals now that, you know, are too very passionate about their work and, you know, find that it's become very time demanding on time, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is. And a lot of people don't have an outlet, you know, to, to, to kind of just, you know, level them back out, you know, as much as, as much as they can. And they really have no hope. You know, so it's just like really good. Thank you for sharing, you know, just, you know, how you have to cope with that and, you know, just different messages of how you have to overcome it. Because i tell you this, I, I was just walking in the airport. Well, actually on my way to an airport this past weekend and found out that um, a TSA employee jumped off a balcony oh, wow and killed that. himself,
0: Wow,
1: you know, and, you know, delayed all the flights and, you know, it's just, I mean, c- I mean, canceled, not delayed the flight, canceled all the flights out of Orlando. And, you know, you're just sitting there, hurting for their family because you're like, wow, you know, this this individual, um, they had nowhere to turn. Yeah. You know, and um if they if they did, you know, how much, you know, man, you know, leaving a whole family behind. I couldn't even imagine that. So thank you for for sharing that. Now, the question I ask you, another question I'll ask you is that um, you know, what's next? You know, I mean, you, I mean you have, and not next in terms of opportunity, but the more what's next in terms of you know, where, where would you like to see more of? Like, you know, what, wh- where do you feel like you, you want to impact or your impact to grow to, um, in this area of focus that you have?
2: Wow. Um, okay. Well, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot actually lately. Um, so it's interesting cause I'm still kind of working this out for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do feel like, you know, one thing that I've really, um, Notice, And this is like about my job, but also just like generally. Right. Is that I think I think we need to spend more time as like a society being more transparent and sharing our our like struggles with each other. So just like a little one thing that I've realized in the last couple, uh, maybe like two years of my life is this. I spent a lot of my time focused on my traumas, right? And I convinced myself mm-hmm. in my mind that my only worth was my trauma, right? And so it, I I felt like people only liked me because I have this sort of like after school special kind of life where like all these sort of like <laughs> dramatic things have happened and like, you know, and and that's the reason why people like me. And I, I started having this like spiel I felt like almost that I was just telling people like, and then this happened and then this happened and then my grandma died in our time in our backyard and then this happened and, then this, happened, and then this happened and my life and um, and I and I and I stopped like actually developing and growing as a person, and just was so fixated on those things that have happened to me and what i what i've what I've realized is, um, in the process of that, I like sort of dumb myself down and I like I wasn't really. Uh, learning as much. I wasn't putting myself out there. I wasn't, um, while I was like doing work at my job, right. I wasn't connected to like social justice issues. I wasn't following through on a lot of things that I said I wanted to follow through on. Cause I was just so, I was so wrapped up in this, like, well, I can't better myself. Cause if I better myself, then nobody will want to be around me because people only want to be around me because I am this like trauma filled nightmare. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, Okay, so I say all that to say wh- where I kind of feel like I'm going and where I kind of see myself going is I-, I don't know exactly how to do this, but I would love to tie in with my practice because I do uh, meet a lot of people who are really struggling and a lot of people who are really, who've, who've had really hard times, like much, much harder than mine. And I would love to, to sort of tie in the things because I went to a lot of trauma therapy because I experienced a lot of trauma in my childhood and stuff. And so, um, I, I went, I've been to trauma therapy for like almost 10 years. I just recently stopped because that is very expensive. Um, and um, and um, so uh, I would love to figure out how to tie those two things together. And I do know that there's like a lot of work being done in very stressful jobs like this um, and other jobs where where there's like secondary trauma uh, like specialists coming in to, to meet with um, employees and things like that and like help employees who are in stressful situations, but just to like be able to provide sort of a gateway for the, the clients that I meet. Right. And the people that are often overlooked, I think, I, I, I truly believe this. Like if you live in an urban environment, such as Brooklyn, you have guaranteed, I don't want to say guarantee, but it's very, very likely that you have been exposed to trauma at probably a very early age that your mind can't even process right and that probably
0: even ptsd right
2: totally and that trauma can stunt you from your growth and that's what i learned going through my 10 years of very expensive trauma therapy was that there was a lot of things that i experienced in my childhood that held me back right that like that that like um kept me like down in a lot of ways and so just trying to figure out how to how to create that how to mesh those two. And then also like on a more general level that has nothing really maybe to do with my job. Just, I want to be transparent in who, in what I, in how I feel and what I've been through, because I want to be able to help other people feel less alone. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember when Anthony Bourdain killed himself, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I mm. felt so, cause I've had suicidal ideations. I've been to the hospital before. Like all that stuff is part of my journey. It's part of my um, path. Right. And, and that moment I never felt, I felt like somebody um, knocked the wind out of me when he died because we all look at him. We all would looked at him, right. Anybody who like watched this show, like he's living his best life. He's living my best life. Right. Yeah. And and then to see that happen it just made me feel like death is just around the corner all the time right for especially for someone who's sad and depressed right like it can it could just be right around the corner for you for me it was and still is all the time right and so just just to like create circles in my world where you don't have to feel like the tsa worker right who didn't maybe didn't feel like they had a circle that where they could go to and say like yo death is like around the corner for me and i need some help like I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to lift me. I need somebody to pick me up. Right. And uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in creating those kind of circles. Now I will say that I am, I have a lot of issues with like follow through and I'm not necessarily the best like texter or person who calls back. Like this is a criticism I get from everybody. It's something that I'm working on and I'm committed to. It's one of my resolutions um, to be more present and to be more like, um, in touch with people. Uh, and so I'm, I'm working on that cause that's what I would really like to do is create that space, uh, for people, whether it's within the church or it's like, uh, support groups or whatever. I just think that that is so important. And I think we're, we're, we're often left in these places where we feel like we're completely alone and little did we know that the person sitting next to us on the train is going through the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so
0: love it. I don't know if that makes no. sense, but <laughs> no, that yeah, makes it perfect does. sense. it makes perfect sense. Um, Ricky, before you ask that question or wrap it up, I'm telling you that uh, uh, listeners, I hope you guys are hearing that because a support system, like you like to say, the team is very important. Uh, second, I, being transparent, do not bottle up your feelings. Yeah. Because, and and keep it to yourself. I, I, I tell you that don't think you're weak because you're telling somebody how vulnerable you are. What you're actually doing is let somebody know that, this is your feelings. And just like Pai said, there might be somebody sitting right beside you that have the same feelings that you guys can work together and work through it. So a lot of times it's just opening your mouth and talk to people and be transparent and build that support system so that you can further um, somebody else's um, mentality.
2: Can, can I just say one little thing on that? And I know Absolutely, you wanted to ask me yeah. another question, but I think this is kind of important. Um, yeah. You know, what I've learned is, and I think one of my biggest strengths is vulnerability. And I'm very comfortable with being vulnerable. A lot of people say that to me all the time, right? And uh, at first I used to think it was like a huge weakness. Now I think it's like a strength, but I also think it's a blessing. And I think it's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. Because one of the things that I think I had a hard time with was discerning where, like, who was safe to be vulnerable with, right? Because there are people I think out there who will take advantage of your vulnerability. And that's what people are the most scared of, right? Yeah. Is, is getting in touch with those people who or like sharing with those people who will then take what you say and turn it around on you, use it against you or tell all your business or whatever. Right. And I think that um, what I've learned in my like journey is that uh, you know, you you have to pay attention to what happens when you do share with someone else and the sort of the feeling that you have. I think we have a tendency not to trust ourselves and to think like we don't we don't like, we don't know whether we don't trust ourselves. And so I think just being aware of that and sort of feeling out where you are vulnerable and when, when you're not right. And I don't say that to, I'm not saying that to say that you should be very careful and you shouldn't share with anybody and you should only like know someone for 10 years before you start. I don't think there are any prerequisites like that. I just think like, just like, being mindful and being careful. And when, when a red flag goes off in your brain, right. Or in your head, just paying attention to that. Cause those are important, like triggers and things for us. Right. And, and, and being aware of that. I was friends with somebody for years, for years. And she was like a reincarnation of a really bad traumatic, um, friendship, uh, relationship that I had in childhood. And I just didn't want to believe it. Right. And I was vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable with her. And I didn't want to believe it. And she took advantage, advantage, advantage of me. And I I, I, I think if I had listened to the to the sort of like the red flags going up in my brain all the time, I would I wouldn't have like been been as close with her or shared with her. And I think what ended up happening was that for a while I was like, okay, well, now I can't be vulnerable with anybody. And then I felt like, oh my gosh, I can't be myself because I'm, I'm like an open book, right? That's what I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I just think, just like a little side note.
1: No, perfect, no, perfect. I'm, thank you so much for sharing that. So I'm gonna ask you one more question. Sure. Um, so this listen, li- listener get to know you a little bit more. Uh, what along your journey, you know, whether professionally, personally, whatever it may be, share with the the listeners, you know, what you feel has been your greatest accomplishment along your journey.
2: Okay. So I kind of said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. I think my greatest accomplishment has been my daughter. And I know I didn't like, you know, I'm, I i don't mean, I'm, what I mean is when Sonali, that's my, my baby girl, when she came into my life, I was very, before she, before she, before I got pregnant, I was like, I don't want to have a baby because I'm like this really flawed person and I just don't want to do that to someone else. Like, I don't want someone to come into this world and have all of my traumas and all my crazy and all that stuff. I just don't want to do that. And then. Uh, you know, we decided to have a baby and there was a whole process, which I could tell you on a different podcast. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, and and then, so we, so, so we got pregnant, we had a baby. And after she was born, I was like, you know what? It, this little person is looking at me at least for the first X amount of years of her life for survival. And she's going to be looking at me to like, she's going to emulate me. And so Mm. my, my, um, I think my biggest accomplishment to date is reminding myself of that all the time just because it makes me want to be better because I don't, I don't want to be better for Sonali, right? I want to be better for me so that she will always want to be better for her. So that Mm. when she looks at me, she sees like my mommy wants to be amazing because my mommy wants to be amazing. Not because my mommy wants to be amazing for me. And I, 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 that has really motivated me in so many ways to get over so many things and to like push myself and push myself when things are very hard for me emotionally, when things are very difficult for me. Like I, when I say I had suicidal ideations, what I mean is this, it is very easy for me to go to, well, who cares? I'll just die. Right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me. I'll just die. Like, I don't care. I don't even like enjoy living that much. So I'll just die. Right. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm, that's crazy. It, the thing is, yeah, yes, it is kind of, I mean, I think it's, I don't, I don't know that you should, I don't know that crazy is medical terminology like or no, 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 no. Or, I, no, no I don't mean little, like that. I just no, mean that. No, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just adding a little levity. Um, yeah. No, but, um, but seriously though, like it is very, it, it, it was very easy for me to go there. Right. And I, I, I have, I have pushed myself to a place where that is not my, and I, I don't mean it like it's my go to, like every single time something bad happened, I was like, all right, I'll just die. I just mean like it's always in the back of my mind, right? Like you could just end your life. It's just so easy. Who would even care, right? And like, mm-hmm. and now I, it's that, that thought is so far away because mm-hmm. this person is in my life and I won't, I, if, as long, I will not allow that to be part of my daughter's story that her mother committed suicide. Right. And so, and I don't mean it, like I sit around and think about death all day. I just mean it like for somebody who's had that resonating theme, um, it's it, I I just don't want that in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that my greatest accomplishment uh, during my journey has been recognizing that and then working as hard as I possibly can to move away from that um and to like share that with other people so that other people don't can see that like it's a struggle for me too i think a lot of people tend to look at me and sean and think like oh my god their lives are perfect and they're like so in love and they have an adorable daughter it's like no we struggle like we have stuff going on i struggle all the time and that's part of the reason why i'm so transparent is because i want people especially people of color to know that like it's okay to struggle and feel sad and then like talk about it because it's hard being a person of color, right? Like it's yeah. hard being a woman. It's hard. It's ha- all of that's hard. And so um, I would say Sonali and that sort of path has been my great, one of my, like I would say my greatest. accomplishment. Also like getting into the homicide union in my office was pretty dope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and that's what I was talking about that. Just like what you mentioned, <coughs> what I was saying with that, that's crazy is it's crazy that people that out on the outside would look in and yeah. think, just like you said, it's a perfect <laughs> world. Oh my gosh, I wish I was her she's a lawyer, her husband's a physical therapist, they have such a beautiful daughter, they they go running, they uh, do all these yeah. accomplishments, and they don't know what's going on within the nucleus. Yeah. You understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. And, and, and somebody doesn't a lot of a lot of times, it's just like I saw this picture. The people are on the other side of the the the, the ridge. And they're looking at the person on top of the ridge and they go, oh, it's easy to get up there. However, when you look at the other side of the ridge, there's a lot of bottles, there's a lot of glass, there's a lot of razors that the person had to go over and get cut in order to get to the top of the ridge.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Man. That's why success is a journey, right? It's yep. not just,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Marlon, way to rebound from calling our guests crazy.
2: No, 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 I no, no. I was saying, I was saying, <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, no. What I'll say, it, it just came in my head. When I said it was crazy, that's what I meant. It's like, it's crazy that, that for people to feel that You know what I'm saying? Because people never know. I'm telling you.
2: People <laughs> never know. You guys are fools. <laughs> <I can't. laughs>
1: well, Pi, we are uh thank you so much for joining us. Um and it's it's been great to listen to your story and you you sharing your story really with the world. And I know someone out there was just touched by you know, what you brought and just, just hearing a little bit more in depth about you. Even people that even may, may know you already when they hear this podcast is hearing even more about you. Um, I know it will inspire them. So is, is there a way that people, if they do want to reach out to you, um, I know you say you're not good with. I
2: have to say.
1: Maybe they sent a letter by, <laughs> you know? by
2: pigeon yeah. by the time it gets here.
1: <laughs> you know, people can contact you.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, like much like on Game of Thrones, you can send a raven my way. No, I'm just oh, wow. um,
0: Ricky doesn't yes. watch Game of Thrones, so he doesn't know what's what? going on. Oh, I like, do. Come on. Yep, yep, you yep. are failing. I told person. him. He's, he's you're failing. failing.
2: Yeah. failing. Yeah. You're You basically <laughs> failed at winter's
0: <laughs> coming and he doesn't even know. Nicole,
2: you need to make some better decisions, girl. <laughs> Anyways, I'm uh, just kidding. Um, no, uh, you can reach me on my email, which is h p a i at b d s b as in boy, d as in dog, s as in Sam dot org, um, and I will do my best because you know I said this is my one of my resolutions to get back to you, um, whoever you are out there. <laughs> You may want to email me and just be like, can you stop talking? My goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I just say one last thing? Another one of my major accomplishments was that I ran the New York City Marathon in November with no training. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) your husband told
0: me. Your husband told me. me. And the
2: only reason why I bring it up is because, yeah, Sean, I ran the marathon without any training. But also because... I just think that uh, we have such a huge capacity to do things that we put our mind to. Mm -hmm. And um, I am like probably the laziest person. I like, I like, I know I go out and I run all these things, but I really don't train for them. And I just, I'm <laughs> really competitive. I just can't. I can't like once my bark is so much worse than my bite. And I'm always talking mess. And I'm always like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm like, no. And then it comes and I'm like, I can't not do it because I already told 400 people I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> but with the marathon, the thing that I realized is like our bodies are incredible and they can, our bodies can do so much and mental. And, yeah. And what I was going to say is that not only can our bodies do so much, but the thing that stops us from doing it is our mental. There and you if go. you really I mean, I was talking to God a lot during that marathon and also talking to myself and Cardi B was talking to my ear and, my <laughs> eyebrows and all that. Right. And like the thing is, right, because you can really like it's just what you what you literally tell yourself is what you can accomplish. So if you tell yourself I'm not gonna be able to do it, you're not gonna be able to do it. But if you tell like this is what I kept saying to myself, girl, this is five hours of your life. This is five hours of your life. Come on, this is five hours of your life. You could do this. This is one, and I, every mile I'm like, this is 10 more minutes of your life. This is 10 more minutes of your life. Why are you acting like this? I mean, I did say a lot of curse words to myself while I was running, so I'm not gonna say that on the air. But I just wanted to say that 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 sort of was also like an accomplishment for me in a in a in a way, like I didn't you know, I wasn't trying to place. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't trying to win. Right. Like I, I was just trying to finish. Yeah. Right. I was just trying to finish. Right. And it didn't really matter to me what time I ran. I just wanted to finish. And when I got to mile four, so before that, the longest I had run was a half marathon. And so mm. when I got to mile 14, mind you, it's 26 miles. So then I still had like another 12 miles to go. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I cannot believe that I got here. The woman I was running with the pacer was like, I cannot believe that you're doing this. But I was just like, no, I'm not stopping. Like I refuse to stop. And I think I, that 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 taught me such a huge lesson about like our capacity to like just push ourselves mentally and also physically, you know, and and how much we can sell ourselves short and how much we can stop ourselves by the words that we use, like and the, and the things that we say to ourselves on, a, on all, all the time. And I think we just we could we could we couldn't do so much as humans. We could change the world. We could get that man out of the office. Right. Like there's so much we can do if we just put our minds to it yeah so anyways
1: (laughs) no love it love it listeners i mean i I gotta put that into perspective because years ago pi said that she used to shake like she exercised and threw water on her face yep just do put on it. my yeah. gym clothes. Come
2: yeah.
1: home. It like I went to
2: the gym. Oh man, Sean, I'm so tired. It's crazy. You want to order some food? Because I feel like I deserve it. Right? I deserve that burrito. Because I just I went to the gym. Put my hair in a ponytail. Put some makeup. Put some water on my eyes so it looked like my eye makeup was running. I was really in there sweating, babe. It's crazy. <laughs> it's true. Everyone's like, you're laughing. I'm being dead serious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man 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 I tell you I tell you we can go on and on and on and on man and I love it um but we're gonna let everyone let our listeners yeah. go we thank you guys for tuning and for another week of the Success Journey show and just remember you know uh if you're liking these shows you're liking the guests the conversations you know we welcome you to comment on our Instagram page on uh, Success Journey show also you can go to our website and subscribe to be a um part of the journey squad at the success journey show.com. Uh, we're looking forward to just hearing from you looking forward to spending some time with you, uh, in the, in the near future. And hey, if you're interested in sharing your story, uh, email Marlon and myself, you see our contacts in the description of this podcast. And last thing, if you are listening to an iTunes or Google play or whatever your favorite podcast and platform is, why don't you just leave us a review? whatever you feel is necessary or appropriate to what we have delivered. If it's a one star, hey, give it the one star. We, we just need some feet. We just want some feedback just to know how we're doing. So thank you. We hope there are five stars,
2: though. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say.
1: <laughs> but again, we want to thank our guest, Pi. I'm even going to try to pronounce her first name again. It's been too long since I did it. Um, but we want to thank you uh, again for joining us. And all thank you surprises. so
2: much for having me.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. Yes. And for all of our travelers, we'll see you next week at the same time, the same place on the success journey show. All right,
0: everyone have a good one. love. You've been listening to the success journey show where your dreams drive determination and diligence are the foundation to success. For more information, check out the success journey show.com. The journey squad is here helping you to your destination.